0: Live from our man caves in Hawaii and Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild, where Blem, Poopus, and Mike D bringing the latest news, rumors, analytics, predictions, and all things MLS on American soccer. Let's get it going, boys.
1: Welcome to MLS Gone Wild, Season 2, Episode 5. This is Blem.
0: Welcome to, uh, back to MLS Gone Wild. It's your boy, Poopus.
2: This is Mike D here. Back with another episode of Emma has gone wild. Had stir fry for dinner, a couple slices of cake. Thank you to my girlfriend Lauren for that. And ready to get into this episode after this round of 16 uh, matchups.
1: All right. Love the energy so far in this podcast. We got Poopas just screaming in the mic, Mike D telling us what was on the menu for dinner. So let's get into the pod now, guys. 20 straight days of the MLS's Back tournament action, and we finally have a day to catch our breath and reflect on all the action so far. In this episode, we will talk about the success of the bubble, Frank DeBoer out as the Atlanta United head coach, and the quarterfinal matchups that are set to kick off tomorrow night at 8 p.m. Before we get into all that, we would like to offer huge congratulations to Katie Stengel and the entire Houston Dash team and organization. Katie was a guest in season one of MLS Gone Wild. And when asked if she thought the Dash could win the NWSL Challenge Cup, if they could win that tournament, she responded confidently, saying, oh, absolutely. Led by Katie Stengel, Rachel Daly, and the Budweiser Chuggin', Kristen Mewis, the Dash gave up zero goals in the knockout stage of the tournament. The success of the NWSL tournament could land them a permanent TV deal with CBS. Speaking on the success of the NWSL, during their time in Utah, they also reported zero positive COVID-19 cases. I repeat, zero COVID-19 cases throughout the NWSL tournament during their time in the bubble in Utah. So we are MLS MLS's back. We're going to flip that. We're going to compare it to MLS numbers. Comparing that to the numbers within the MLS bubble in Orlando, we saw both Nashville and FC Dallas be withdrawn from the tournament before the group stages began due to double-digit positive COVID-19 cases since then through 3 weeks and 9 consecutive reports later mls has reported no new cases within the bubble so guys we've been talking about this for you know almost maybe even longer than a month now prior to the tournament even starting so prior to the tournament two of our biggest concerns were the procedures in place to ensure player health and safety as well as the level of play within the mls's back tournament so boys so far what are your two thoughts on, or what are your thoughts on those two things, the procedures in place and the level of play?
2: The, the positive cases and everything in the beginning, obviously the, the worry was from the jump, like you said, the, the health and well-being of the players, and then along with that, the, the, the level of play. But first touching on the health and well-being of the players, we recorded a podcast where we talked about this, and I'll be the first one to say I was – had a lot of criticism towards this, you know, the, this soccer starting up, especially in Orlando being in a hot spot and having the amount of positive cases that we had in the beginning. I was a little uh, skeptical about what was to come, but since we are now where we are and we have some of the facts that we have now, I have to say that I was wrong. I was wrong, and with three weeks going by in the MLS and having zero positive cases, and and in the NWSL having You know, really, no positive cases since those those false positives from the Orlando Pride in the beginning. Prior to arriving to the bubble, I I was wrong, and I think we thought that. Of course, with starting out the season early on in 2020, and then having everything come to a screeching halt due to COVID-19, we knew, or we at least expected that there was going to be some difference in the level of play coming into the tournament. So, with that being said teams have, you know, have have had the rust and have had a chance to knock off some of that. But um, I think things have, have been progressing in the right direction, and it's been only getting better, in my opinion.
0: I agree. The bubble safety has been uh, subpar, to be honest. Like,
2: I mean, yeah, hey, it's sad to uh, see
0: FC Dallas and Nashville have to, have to leave. But, I mean, it's the way they were quarantined before they came to Orlando that they sadly had to leave this tournament. But I'm I'm actually quite impressed with uh, how bubble safety has been uh, worked along this whole time, especially especially seeing how the NWSL. I don't know if MLS like took anything away from there, but I, I was expecting a lot more positive cases of COVID nineteen inside the bubble. But it still happens that everybody everybody has been following protocol and following directions on what they're supposed to do, and it's really really made a positive uh, impact on uh, the MLS in general.
1: What have you thought about the the quality of play so far, Pupas?
0: I mean, yeah, the quality of play the first couple of games, I mean, yeah, just like Mike D said, they're they're gonna be all rusty. It's I mean they haven't touched the touches I mean, yeah, they touched soccer ball, but haven't played in a game And I don't know, I mean how many, how many days it was, like over a hundred something days. So I was I was expecting the that quality of play to, you know, not be the top part of what we usually see in the MLS. But, I mean, yeah, people were cramping up like crazy, and now as they further advance in the, like the rounds and stuff, you can actually see the quality of play get a lot better. Yeah, maybe the defenses are struggling. I mean, there's still uh, like teams are still missing key players and shit, but they're still they're they're making it with what they have here in Orlando, and they're it's actually taking a big step forward for the quality of play that they're showing right now.
1: Yeah, I can't agree with either of you guys more. It's been remarkable what the MLS has been able to do. So let's jump back about a month to when, you know, FC Dallas and Nashville first arrived. The optics of that situation when we were getting report after report of, you know, Nashville now has five players and a couple coaches. Uh, FC Dallas has double digits. Being a sports fan in general with not a lot of sports going on, this was huge in the news. And like I said, the optics of it didn't look good, especially when you're comparing it to, we talked about the EPL a couple weeks ago. And during their reports, they only had one to two players testing positive. And now you have two teams backing out of the tournament. The legitimacy of the bubble itself was coming into question. And the question was coming up all over the place. Is this tournament actually worth it? Like, are we really prioritizing player safety over TV deals and money and things such as that? But I think the bubble aspect, the way that FC Dallas and Nashville, you know, it's a shame that they had to back out, obviously, but I think it's remarkable that the spread of COVID-19 didn't go further than than their teams. You know, it stayed within their squads. They didn't spread it, and that goes to show the planning that went into the two hotels – Uh, They're at Disney Wide World of Sports. Actually, I just saw a report today from The Athletic that they just closed down one of the hotels and they moved everybody into one to limit player mobility. So they obviously already had this this plan in place, which I think is is great. But again, you know, trying to be one of the first sports back is going to be difficult. NWSL did it perfectly, I may say. So shout outs to them. COVID-19 is a new thing to everybody. You know, we've dealt with pandemics in the past, but, you know, not in our lifetime. We haven't had to see huge sports leagues, multi-million dollar sports teams and leagues and associations um, trying to resume their season amidst amidst a a pandemic. So shout out to the NWSL for doing such a great job. MLS has also done a great job. MLS, you know, had to have taken some notes from NWSL, the Bundesliga and EPL. So the bubble looks great. I hope the bubble works well for the NWSL and for the NBA as well. Speaking on the level of play, I agree. The first week for every team, we didn't know what to expect. Like, we we were always talking about fitness. You know, there's new players that are coming in. They've only had two games to play with their new coach or their new teams, how have they adjusted, things such as that. But I think as this tournament has gone on, uh, we've seen players play their way into games, You know, play their way into fitness. The substitutions have really helped with that, the five substitutions being able to happen at three different points throughout the game. I think that's helped quality of play, keeping legs fresh on the field. So I think that has been, I think it's been good for the tournament, whether it continues when the season comes back or not. I don't know. I think they should probably keep it around for the rest of this regular season. but. All in all, I think Pupas was getting into it. You know, the defense for a lot of teams has been shaky. The MLS in general isn't a very defensive league, but we've seen a lot of goals. We've seen high-scoring games. We've seen shootouts. Um, two days ago, we saw 12 goals in two games in the round of 16. So it's been extremely entertaining. You know, the more goals, the more just sports fans in general you're going to bring in, not just your everyday MLS fans. So. I think it's been entertaining. I think you know, I'm, I haven't seen the TV ratings. I know some of them haven't looked great, um, but taking into consideration everything going on, um, I, I think it's been entertaining, whether people are watching or not. I don't know, but I'm entertained. I said it last podcast to, to Jillian Sagovitz of the MLS Call Up podcast that I would love to see this every preseason or something like that. I know every MLS team kind of does their own thing preseason, but Man, it's, this has been fun so far to watch. Every day, soccer, like I said, we're 20 days in, and finally, there's no soccer on tonight. We don't have to try to record this podcast while watching game and talking about the goals that happen. We can legitimately sit here, hang out, talk about soccer, and then afterwards, I always say it, drop into the war zone, you know, hot drop on lumber. So I think so far it's been a pleasure to watch this tournament.
0: You know. Yeah, I gotta say, like, uh almost the league in general is gonna learn a lot from this pandemic. And you know, for further further cases, in case you know this happens again along down the road, they're they're gonna just be that much more prepared for something to happen down the road. Then you know, I mean, they've done a great job though so far. So give them kudos to that. But they're they're gonna be a lot more prepared down the road for for all this shit to happen again. You
3: know what.
1: One thing one thing that's come up a lot is – sorry, Mike, I'll get right back to you. One thing that we hear a lot now that all this is going on is what is the new normal. I saw something go across my screen on SportsCenter I think yesterday was that the NBA is already talking about doing a bubble season for 2021. So, you know, a lot of experts don't see COVID-19 going away anytime soon, especially the way um, – You know, America's handling the situation. We're not handling it as well, taking it as seriously as other nations. I know here in Hampton Roads, Virginia, we're back down to, you know, bigger restrictions, uh, 50% capacity in restaurants, um, things such as that alcohol sales stop after 10 o'clock. Just trying to keep people in their own homes and, you know, limiting, uh, you you know, limiting the amount of exposure there is to this.
2: The NWSL and the MLS really stuck their necks out, and I'll be the first to say I was a naysayer, um, but they've excelled I think since the start of all of this, and really kind of set the blueprint for what a protocol during a pandemic is. And so hats off to them. And you know, going back to the the, the plays, the players, and the level of play, you hear a lot of the players talking about in post game interviews, and even with you know Kellen Acosta coming on our podcast talking about yeah there's gonna be a difference coming into it in the beginning. The one thing though, to keep in mind is that everybody's going through the same thing. They're all dealing with the same conditions, uh, including you know the elements and then also the aspects of getting back into play.
1: So what you're talking about there, Mike D, is an even playing field. So some teams have looked like they've been on an even playing field. Some teams haven't. Last Thursday, like I said, we got the opportunity to speak to MLS call-up, co-host, and Atlanta United on-field reporter Jillian Sakovic about Atlanta's goalless and pointless MLS Cup tournament. MLS is back tournament. The day after we spoke to her, Frank DeBoer and Atlanta United mutually agreed to part ways, a.k.a. he was fired. What are your guys' thoughts on this, and who could possibly replace Frank DeBoer?
0: I mean, they were saying that Frank DeBoer, like, from the start, he was having troubles even with the staff and team. And I know some of the players were complaining about him also. So, I mean, it, it happens. I mean, yeah, you're, I mean, you were with a great squad already that has, you know, tons of trophies and stuff already under their belt. And then you come in and thinking it's just going to be easy peasy for you. And you're just going to go back to the MLS Cup. But obviously, it didn't happen. And the players didn't like him and it just didn't work for his system, his coaching style. So, I mean, they are going to get fired. So, bye bye. But other than that, I think, uh, I don't know, there was a couple of names out there. They, they were saying Edra Hendrickson, Pat Noonan, Tim Cahill. Like, I, I didn't really dig too deep into it, but I'm not, I'm not too sure because they're, they're looking for a more proactive coach, and I don't know. I'm, I don't really follow like Edra, Hendrickson, Ed, Edra Hendrickson too much. Man, that was bad. But uh, – and Pat Noonan. So, I don't know. It's, it's, I guess whoever stands out to them and whoever the players feel like they want in their system.
1: So, Pupis, question for you. The three coaches that you just named are all MLS assistant coaches. None of them have had MLS first-team coaching experience with a team like Atlanta that's trying to get back to their, you know, when they had – when they won the MLS Cup. With Tata? Yeah, with Tata Martino. For them, would hiring an assistant that doesn't have – any head coaching experience would that be a good move for them or would they want to look for somebody that's got experience I mean
0: that's a that's another question because I mean somebody might be surprising to the team and just come out of nowhere it's just I mean it's all about taking chances on who you want to hire like if they feel like one, one of those three people Tim Cahill Penn Union or Ezra is a good fit I mean then you know bring them on the team and try them out and I mean you see the Cleveland Browns I mean they go through coaches like crazy but if he's not a good fit, then I don't see I don't see them like standing around for too long if the players and coaches don't get along, so or his play style. So I don't know. It's just pretty much taking in taking a guess on who they want.
2: So Atlanta United president Darren Eels or Dealers, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing it, uh, did an interview on the twenty seventh of July with Atlanta Journal Constitution stating the importance of how Atlanta United wants to be held. They have very high standards, um, and they want to be held in the same elite nature as some of the best MLS teams out there. So there's very, very small margin for error. In 2019, DeBoer helped United um, win the U.S. Open Cup at the Campionis Cup. But then 2019 also, they lost in the Eastern Eastern Conference Finals to Toronto at home. And then 2020, they beat FC Cincinnati in the beginning of the year, 2-1, which isn't saying anything, and then go on to lose their first leg of the the, uh, quarterfinal of the CONCACAF Champions League to Club America 3-0 before COVID stopped all sports. Not only that, but they lose a bunch of players from last year to this year going into the season. And so I think the fallout for Atlanta starts with the loss of some of these key players, Joseph Martinez going down, Julian Gressel, Michael Parker's retiring, LGP, Darlington Agpe going to Colorado, or, uh, Columbus, excuse me. And this really is kind of like foreshadowing, it looks like, for, for what's happening to, to Atlanta. Um, things started off rough in, in 2020. Um, and I mean, when was the last time we saw an expansion team go from being so explosive upon arrival and then winning, you know, the MLS Cup? and then crashing and burning like they have been uh, it's it's incredible to see it's something that we haven't seen in a long time if we've seen it ever and I think it's the right decision like I said there's very small room um, for error DeBoer hasn't really had success since he was the, the coach at Ajax and Atlanta wants to be held as one of the best teams in the MLS. And so they have to, they have to move on and, and try to find somebody who's going to fill that void that, that Tata Martina, or excuse me, Tata Martino um, brought to the table back when he was the coach. Um, I think if I had to pick somebody, there was a list of of player or a list of coaches or potential coaches to fill that spot. They had talked about in that, in that interview, with the president of Atlanta United that they weren't going to rush it. They were going to take their time and they were going to find the right man for the job that was going to get them back on the horse. So when you think about those things, you think about what Tata Martino did and what he brought to the table for that team. And it was a very high attacking team, run and gun, run it up the gut kind of, kind of team with, you know, Miggy and and Yosef up atop. So reading through some of these guys, I think that my pick would be Ante Razov. Uh, His experience with the likes of Ziggy Ziggy Schmidt, Brian Schmetzer, and obviously now Bob Bradley, and going back to that that high attacking style, you know, LAFC is a very explosive team when they get in the attack. And so, um, yes, bringing on an assistant to fill in a a first team head coach job with very little experience or no experience is probably something that you think about and may have some – Negative connotations with the players and respect aspects coming in. However, when you have someone like that who has the experience that he does under some of these these great coaches, that would be my pick, and I think it would be a good fit. I would love to see um, uh, Mauricio Pochettino come in. He's talked about coming into the MLS as a head coach, but I don't think that his time is right now. I think that he's exploring other options at, at, at clubs in in different countries that are um the likes of Barcelona and I think that there's been some others that he's turned down but I don't think his time in the MLS has come yet
3: yeah
1: Pochettino has come out and said though that at some point he would like to coach in the MLS Mike D you picked Ante Razov to potentially replace Frank DeBoer so there is a created rivalry at least in my mind just based on the success of these two expansion teams between L.A. and Atlanta. And I think that bringing Ante Razov over to Atlanta would even further that MLS-made rivalry, that architected rivalry, um, due to those two teams being some of the most uh, successful expansion teams out there. They've been the shiny new thing since coming into the league, so they've constantly been trying to prove themselves. With that being said, Mike D., I like what you talked about, talking about, them having expectations and high standards and a lot of that to blame is because of Tata Martino, but you know, Atlanta, they have a huge fan base. They play at Mercedes Benz. Arthur Blank is their owner. Like that's what they expect. You know, they sell out every single game. They expect great success for me. I think Frank the Boer lost that team the moment that he um, signed to go be the manager of that club. To be honest with you, I'm going to ask you guys a question. So Frank DeBoer naturally is more defensively oriented. Okay, so prior to Frank DeBoer coming in, they're a high-flying team, Al Marone, Joseph Martinez, who they still have but is hurt. Um, You know, they they lose Al Marone and they bring in P.T. Martinez and Barco to try to replace him. Despite having those two guys, it never seemed like Frank DeBoer tried to build on them. Frank DeBoer was trying to push his system on this team. And thank God they had Joseph last year who had a record breaking year to just keep them afloat. Um, you know, granted Frank DeBoer has two trophies in one and a half years, but like I said, I think that he lost it the day that he came in. So like you said, a, a couple minutes ago, LGP has gone. Gressel's gone. viaba has gone. nagby has gone. Rometty is basically on the reserve team at this point. DeBoer tore this team apart. And so DeBoer had his hands in all of that dismantling this team to try to rebuild and they really didn't rebuild to be honest with you Um, he just tried to find the right players that were already in this system to try to fit his defensive system and without Joseph you can play all the defense you want and it's not like they got blown out in the MLS's back turn I think they lost all three games 1-0 but when you can't score goals it's a problem so just to give you a quick quote from LGP this is in 2019 Right when Frank DeBoer came in and started leading some training sessions, um, LGP says, of course it's hard, he said. Two years of playing the same way, which in return gave you results, coming out as champions, winning the league in a deserving manner. When there was no reason to change, things changed. So when you're considering bringing in a coach, you need to consider bringing in a coach that's able to um, implement a system that is cohesive with the players that he already has. You don't want to bring a defensive coach like Frank DeBoer into a team that's a high-flying offensive power. It's going to cause chaos in the locker room. There's going to be disconnect. So I think they need to be very smart about their next selection as uh, for, for head coach of Atlanta United. The fan base expects probably a big name, uh, but more importantly for them, they are going to expect the guy that's going to come back in and bring them back to Greatness, their MLS championship-winning caliber. So for me, I do have a name. You guys probably read it. We all read the same article. Guy, guy by the name of Gabriel Hines. He coached for a club team in Argentina, you know, South America, and they have PT Martinez and Barco. Will really, I think, be able to bring the best out of those two teams. Something that's been in the news a lot lately is Leeds United being promoted to the Premier League out of the championship over in England. So Hines really studied his old coach Marcelo Bielsa, who's the coach of Leeds United. He absolutely loves to spread the field wide and play up the middle. They play like a 3-3-3-1, which is basically a 5-3-1 with two wing backs that get forward and three attacking midfielders, which is essentially what Tata played when he was at Atlanta, when he was at Atlanta. Guy with head coaching experience, a guy that plays a style that just got a team promoted to the Premier League. A, a guy that he played for, that Hines played for, speaking of Marcelo Bielsa. Um, I think it would be a good match. However, I would love to see Pochettino, and I would I would love to also see some of these guys, you know, the Razov. Um, I don't want to see Ezra Hendrickson go because he's done a great job working under Caleb Porter. But we'll see. Atlanta has a very important decision coming up. But like we said, we don't know what the future looks like for the MLS coming back to the regular season. So there is no uh, huge rush. As of right now, I believe they promoted Atlanta to their head coach up to Atlanta United's first team uh, as, as their new head coach. So, guys, moving on from Atlanta, Atlanta's no longer with us, okay? We just wrapped up the round of 16 last night with both Ohio teams losing in PK shootouts. The previous night, we saw 12 goals scored in two games. So, boys, let's start with what is fresh in our minds and heavy in our hearts. What team disappointed you most in the round of 16?
3: Obvious.
0: My boys, the crew, it broke my heart. I could cry right now, honestly. I really could. I literally I – was, I was not uh, taking it well. So, you know, I had you know, a few too many beers in my system, but to suck the pain away. But, I mean – just highly disappointing. Highly disappointing. They – yeah, Minnesota, like, really sat back, but the crew, like, literally, like, they're, they they were making all the easy passes, but they, they couldn't find a way to break through through Minnesota to put, put a goal in. Zardes, he was just running around like a blind bat, really. Like, his runs were terrible last night. And he really didn't get any good touches on the ball either. The crew just couldn't find a way, and I was just highly upset on the way they played last night.
2: I'm a little biased, of course, as we all probably are, but this was not the Columbus team that we have seen thus far in this tournament. The play was way too slow. They gave up the ball everywhere, which is not something that we've seen either. They just didn't look like they wanted it. There there was very little sense of urgency. Minnesota, you know, after watching the game, Minnesota had their number and knew exactly what to do to stop them from being successful in the attacking uh, the attacking third. They sat back, packed it in through the middle, disrupted play through Nagby and Artur. Pedro Santos did not have a good game. And they, you know, they managed, the crew managed to scrounge one back with Josie Zarda's PK in the 79th minute which was the only glimmer of hope for the crew, getting them, you know, a little bit closer to maybe a win, and then they go to, to PKs and, and lose. Caleb Porter decides to, you know, he, he thinks it's a good idea to bring on Chris Caden for Nagby, move Pedro out into, into the middle and have Caden run up, in, up on that right side. And aside from Tarbell not guessing right on a single PK attempt, if I remember correctly, Caden was the only player from the crew to miss a PK. My heart hurts, and I'm overall very disappointed in the performance. My honest opinion is they should have brought Jordan Hamilton in and let him have a go, but that's why I'm here doing this podcast and not in Orlando, but neither is Caleb Porter anymore.
0: And that's, a, that's another thing. Like, I mean, you, Caleb Porter started Sebastian Burhalter during this whole tournament, and then you don't even bring like I would have brought him in instead of Caden, hands down. But why are you going to take out Nagby, though? Like. He might have been tired, but come on now, like, you got, you got to have a game to win. And they weren't playing like they wanted to win at all, like Mike D says.
1: Yeah, I think one of the big things that went wrong for the crew were the substitutions. We don't see – Caleb Porter never really gets a lot of scrutiny, not a lot of criticism. But some of the substitutions in that game – this is a knockout stage game. Yeah, I know we just got our nine points for the regular season. But, like, he just came out and said that they want to come out and win. So, I believe he had the best intentions in making these substitutions, but personally, I don't understand them. You're two, Arguably, your two best players in Darlington Nagby and Giassi Zardes come off the field. I don't know if you thought that Chris Caden was a better penalty kick taker than Darlington Nagby. Uh, Fernando is he looked like a better uh, penalty kick taker than Giassi Zardes, <laughs> just based off of the you know, the game-time goal we saw Giassi score, but substitutions were a huge part of that game for me. Another thing we have to always consider. I know this is very cliche, but in stocker, the best team doesn't always win. We've seen, we've seen in this tournament that different styles and tactics really throw teams off. You know, you want to talk about Cincinnati taking Portland to PKs last night. They beat New York Red Bulls. They beat Atlanta to get into the knockout stages we saw the same thing with minnesota last night they literally packed it in dotson their attacking midfielder was solely responsible for darlington nagby when darlington nagby and our Tour got on the ball i told you guys last night but a lot of the times they literally put their foot on the ball and we never really ran at their players and that's how you're going to beat a team or beat a yeah beat a team that is sitting in. you need to run at players combine and move there wasn't a lot of passing and moving. There wasn't a lot of combining. There was a lot of Nagby running the game, Nagby and Artur running the game for the Columbus crew. And most of the passes were going east and west. I did think that Zellerion had a, a decent game as, a, as, as one of our DPs, as opposed to Pedro Santos. Pedro had an absolute shocker of a game, at least in my eyes. He was predictable. He didn't pose any threat to the Loons' defense or the Loons' goal. Zellerion, one of the things that's happened in this tournament that I've really liked is the water breaks. I, I mean, I don't like the water breaks, but I like what comes after the water breaks, the adjustments that happen after the water breaks. And in the first half water break, you could hear Caleb Porter telling his wingers and Zellerion to get in the pockets between the lines of the Minnesota midfield and defense and get that ball in turn. Okay, and not only run at players but he wanted the guys that were playing wide. So in the first half, Luis Diaz and Pedro, he wanted them to squeeze inside a little bit to receive the ball there. And one sub that I really did agree with was the Derek Etienne Jr. coming on for Luis Diaz. Luis Diaz has all the speed in the world, good player. But I think that when Caleb Porter went to halftime, he looked at it from a tactical viewpoint and, you know, Told Derek that, Derek, I need you to come inside. And throughout that whole second half, you saw Derek Etienne Jr. popping up in the midfield, you know, centrally. And he was playing, well, he was playing out left. Pedro was on the right at that point. And you constantly saw him coming inside, uh, receiving balls turning. And Derek Etienne Jr. was in the 18, drew the penalty kick that ended up tying the game for the crew. So I thought that was good. Pupas, you talked about Zellerion's movement off the ball. In regards to that, again, style of play of the opposing team, Minnesota's center backs didn't move but, like, 10 yards off of their 18. So, Zelleray – not Zelleray on. Jossie Zardes is a a player that, you know, he's – throughout this tournament he's shown that he can receive a ball at his feet, lay it off, and move. But he likes the ball played into space for him where he can run. You know, But with a team only being 10 yards – off, their center backs only being 10 yards off of the 18, you're not going to be able to play that direct ball over top. It's going to be very difficult for, you know, on to turn and then Zardes slash across the center backs and make a diagonal run. Like they're just – Minnesota did a really good job about shutting down the Columbus Crew's strengths and really packing it in. And like Mike D. said, the Columbus Crew – they had a lot of silly turnovers both from Kada Mince at the back Artour and Nagby made a lot of unforced errors that didn't need to be made that led to chances you know the Columbus crew hadn't given up a goal all tournament and they gave up a, a sloppy clearance header from Josy's Zardes trying to clear the ball lands at Lod's foot and he buries it early in the game first goal that the crew gave up but honestly the crew never looked dangerous enough to win that game and the whole 90 what 96 minutes that they played and i just i had a feeling in my gut that if we're going to pk's i I didn't like it
0: well they got tarbell in there that's not really the highly more highly most experienced person and goal for pk's and i mean come on like you might not be but just don't dive in the same direction every single time yeah switch it up a little bit but you know that was his game plan and
2: you saw what happened and sadness happened after that. I think the the most important thing that you said, Blake, which didn't happen at all last night was that they didn't run at them. You have to, when they're sitting in like that, you have to run at them to get them out of position, to create an opportunity for another one of your players to get into some space combine, and then throw them off of that defensive, uh, that defensive scheme. But, I think, would you say it's something like 296 days without, without losing a game?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Over 200 minutes without getting a goal scored on them? It's in Minnesota of, of, I mean, granted, the goal, it was a hard-working goal off a set piece. Nothing special, but a goal's a goal, and a dub's a dub, and my heart hurts.
1: Yeah, and really, we talked about it a little bit last night. It especially hurts because there's a lot of uncertainty right now. We don't know what the return to MLS regular season play looks like. Hopefully, it happens. I don't know if it happens in regional markets like it does with the USL teams with or without fans. But I, I just hope it returns. You know, Mike D and I both just spent a hundred plus dollars on crew jerseys, brand new ones. Poop has found one of the old, one of the older jerseys for fifty dollars on Amazon, so good deal. But you know, we want to be able to continue to wear these and support our team on game day. So, at least for us, as crew fans, you know, now we can take our bias out of it. I know we were always super excited for crew games, but now we can just watch as fans of the MLS. Um, but, nonetheless, we're all a little butthurt, as, as one may say about the Columbus crew not being in this tournament anymore. But safe travels to the crew. You guys, get back there. Take a little break. You know, hang out with your family. Give them hugs. You you haven't been able to touch anybody outside of the guys that, you know, like uh, who was it, Jonathan Mensa bodied uh, our boy Jacory Hayes last (laughs) night. You know, they're they're doing a little bit of touching on the field. But get home and, you know, give your your family some hugs, take some time for yourselves, and then get back after it. So when the regular season does come back, y'all are ready to go. So, guys, is there any other teams that really disappointed you in the round of 16 before we get into these quarterfinal matchups?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was high on, on Jordan Morris and the Seattle Sounders. Had really high hopes for this game, you know, playing against LAFC, Seattle being the 2019 MLS champions. Jordan Morris especially couldn't get anything really going. They were trying to get him involved. A lot of long balls across the field big switches to that left side to get him involved and and try to create something on, on the wing. But it it didn't, didn't, he didn't do it. He didn't look great in my opinion. And something that they did a lot last night, if you watch the game was they, they put the camera on Jordan Morris, even when he didn't have the ball and it was written all over his face. I'm not sure if it was because he knew that he wasn't having the best of games or if it was just the, holy shit, LAFC has got the throttle on our th- – you know, they got their foot on our necks all game long. LAFC was all over them, especially in Seattle's defensive half. I mean, you watch the, the game as soon as someone in that defensive half touched the ball, there's guys swarming all over these players, and they didn't seem to quit all game long. Didn't look like our, our 2019 MLS Cup winners in my opinion.
0: I think Seattle can take one thing out of this as a positive, though. Will Bruin, coming off ACL injury, a year with rehab, and scoring a goal, scoring the only goal against LAFC. That man, that man had it. Like I'm highly motivated person right there, just to come back from ACL, year in rehab, and score a goal against LAFC. What a great day! What a great day for Will Bruin.
2: Yeah, that made my that made that made me smile for sure. Especially when you put the two subs, and immediately they both have an impact. The, the assist comes from. Jones and then Will Bruin obviously scores his his goal and I immediately put a smile on my face. So definitely a positive light in in that poor performance.
1: Definitely, that's for sure. So Joven Jones, that goal you guys are referring to, that Joven Jones early ball crossed in from the left side with the left foot swung in. Great run by Will Bruin, first time volley off the crossbar down. It was a huge Will Bruin fan when he played at Indiana Indiana University way back in the day. We were all still in high school at that point, I believe, but I watched them in the College Cup. I hit them up. Hasn't hit me back up. We would love to interview some Will Bruin. But to speak on Seattle, they're a completely different team than what we saw last year, especially the back line without Kihi, without Chad Marshall, and Roman Torres now in Miami. This back line looks completely different. And their new defenders, Ariaga and O'Neal, they don't look up for it especially against a team like LAFC. And that's just the knockout round, you know. A lot of teams don't look good against LAFC. But Seattle went 1-1 one, one, and 1 in the group stage. And their group consisted of San Jose, granted San Jose is a good team, they tied 0-0. They lost to Chicago and their only win was a 3-0 win over Vancouver. They literally came to this tournament, played four games. And the only team they beat was Vancouver 3-0. You have Buana out wide right, Ladero at your at your well, at your 10, Rui Diaz at your number nine, and Mike D's golden boot winner, Jordan Morris out wide left. And you only win one game against Vancouver. Come on now.
3: Seattle, you have to do better than that. Well said. All right. Who impressed you guys round of 16? Let's make this one quick.
2: Quick, 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 quick. My number one team right now that's impressed me, not just in this round, but all tournament has been San Jose. In my opinion, San Jose is the most exciting team of the tournament. Like you said, they held Seattle to zero zero in the group stage and they've been scoring buckets on buckets. Um, they really look in tune with each other, you know, positionally. They look well-organized. Christian is looking great. Um, and even though he's leaving soon, Magnus Erickson has, has probably not gotten the attention that he deserves. I mean, in the last game that we watched, uh, I can't remember who they played. Vaco wins the man of the match. If you watch that game back, Magnus Erickson was the glue of that team. This man – was getting into spaces. They didn't. They didn't have any concern over Magnus Aronson. They left him wide open in spaces. This man's getting the ball. He's he's distributing. He's switching the field constantly. Getting balls into dangerous spots. This team is so exciting. They're explosive in the attack, and they they are, are going to be a team to beat. Um, they have a tough matchup coming up with uh, LAFC in the quarterfinals, but uh, we'll get into that in a, in a little bit.
1: San Jose, San Jose plays Excuse
2: Minnesota. Me. Minnesota. Sorry,
0: sorry. Erickson killed it. Like his vision on the field, his passes were great, were absolutely fantastic against Real Salt Lake. And then not even his passes, he puts two balls away in the goal. So for PKs, so he's that he's a force to be reckoned with for San Jose. I mean, then you got Wando, Wando doing Wando things on the field, so scoring goals left and left and right. So, but for my team so far because I mean I I wrote down San Jose also but I'm gonna say New York City FC surprised surprised us against Toronto absolutely demolished them Toronto had no chance at all I mean you had Omar Altidore and Michael Bradley pretty much looking like a bag of ass out there on the field absolutely trash terrible on the on the pitch but And New York City FC got Medina scoring a goal in there. And I don't know, they look like a solid team other than what they started off as in the the beginning of this tournament.
1: So Poopa stole my team, but he did not mention the player that I want to talk about. I want to talk about James Sands, the number six defensive midfielder for New York City FC. He plays right alongside Alex Ring in the midfield of New York City. So New York City lost their very first two matches of the tournament. They won their third and final game against Miami. I believe it was two to one. Snuck into the knockout rounds on three points as a wild card. They come in playing a Toronto team. Akinola is you know up for the golden boot at five goals. At that point, he was tied with Diego Rossi. Uh, you know they they they've got plenty of other players too. Michael Bradley in the midfield. Osario. They go into this game. Osario starts off on the bench. Akinola is injured. Okay, But they come out, and the, at the spine of the Toronto team is made up of Michael Bradley, Mavinga, and Omar Gonzalez. And, uh, Pupis, what did you call them?
3: Call them a hot bag of ass, literally.
1: <laughs> that is exactly what they look like. They weren't up for the challenge. So the big term that's being thrown around about New York City FC right now is the counterpress. And to define the counter press, it's when New York City FC has the ball, they're in possession, they lose that ball. Mike D, you and I, we played in college. You know, it's it was stressed to us. We never called the counter press at that point, but it's, if you lose the ball, you want to get it back within five to seven seconds or whatever it is. And that is exactly what New York City FC did. As soon as they lost the ball, they counter pressed. They literally won the ball back almost every time. Um, and there was just like the Crew game. There were sloppy turnovers by toronto but a lot of that was caused by the pressure put on by new york city fc and to speak on that pressure not only were they pressing the ball but they were clogging the middle and they were closing up passing lanes uh, throughout the field and it was causing those turnovers that wouldn't usually come from michael bradley and the the toronto fc team so shout out to new york city fc for going 0 and two in their first Two games to then barely sneaking by the worst expansion team possibly in MLS history in Miami, and then coming out here and beating a team that really doesn't lose too often and knockout out stage games. So, to give you guys a quick stat before we move on about Toronto and how I'm very surprised that New York City FC beat them Toronto. So, I follow an account on Twitter, OptiJack. They, they put out tweets uh, that are very statistically driven about MLS teams specifically. So in quotes from OptiJack, Toronto has won both their knockout ties against NYCFC, 7-0 aggregate in 2016 and 2-1 last season, and have lost only two of their last 11 knockout ties in MLS, both in MLS Cup finals to Seattle. So Toronto isn't a team that we're used to seeing lose knockout games, especially when you got Osario, Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, these guys. Those guys didn't play and they looked completely different, and especially without Akinola, keep an eye on that kid because he's a legit player. But New York City capitalized on a on a weekend team, came in. Now they find themselves in the last eight of the MLS's back tournament. All right, so quarterfinals of the MLS's back tournament start tomorrow night. Three straight wins will get you upwards of one million dollars worth of prize money and a 2021 CONCACAF Champions League berth. We got Philadelphia Union versus Sporting Kansas City, New York City FC versus the Portland Timbers, Orlando SC versus LAFC, and San Jose versus Minnesota United. Guys, of these four matchups, which is most intriguing and a must-watch for you fellows?
2: Wait, hold on. Before we go any further, did you say Birth or did you say Girth? Birth. Ah, yes, Birth. Okay. All right. So, for me, personally, the, the matchup to watch, hopefully I'm not stealing anybody's thunder, but I probably am because this is going to be the game to watch, is the LFC-Orlando game. Orlando obviously has come into the tournament and, and surprised a lot of people. LFC is firing on all cylinders and seem to be only gaining momentum. So we're going to see what, what Oscar Pereja's side has against uh, a Bob Bradley stout offensive team. And it's going to be an exciting one, folks. It's going to be an exciting one.
3: That's
0: for sure. It will be. That's. that's I mean, that was my choice too. was going to be a great game. I cannot wait to watch that game. I forget what day. Anybody know what day it is again for that game? Off, off the
1: top of my head, no, I don't.
0: I don't know. But I cannot wait to watch the game. But let's see. I'm going to say let's go with Sporting Kansas City because they're my uh, they're my championship winning team in this MLS's back cup. And my boy Polito, come on, Polito! Yeah, you got to put some more goals in there. Only got like three assists so far in one goal, but man has to step up, step it up, and then score some goals for us. I know Philly's a top team, but I I have high hopes for supporting Kansas City in this one. Tamilia, he's he was killer for them in that penalty kick shootout, saving hella shots. So I expect the same from him coming this game against Philadelphia. I hope I hope my boys move on. That's, those are my second, that's my second team so far.
1: So you talked about Tim Malia. That game is going to be a matchup of the two best goalkeepers in this tournament thus far. You got Tim Malia for Sporting Kansas City and Andre Blake for the Philadelphia Union. I think it's going to be a midfield battle. Uh, I think it's going to be a game of two really well-balanced, disciplined teams. It's, the game is up for grabs, to be honest with you. I don't know who's going to take that game. We'll get into predictions in a minute, but Pupas, that's a good pick. So you guys only leave me two choices here. So for me, I'm going to go with New York City FC versus Portland. I just talked about New York City FC's counter press and how impressive I thought that was. I don't think that Portland is similar whatsoever to Toronto, the team that they just played, but if they – uh, if if they use some of those same tactics with the with the counter press, that high press will always throw a team off, especially after you lose the ball. If you lose the ball and win it right back, that looks great. One thing I really want to highlight in here, okay? So Maxi Morales in that midfield for New York City FC, arguably one of the best tens in this league. He's going to be matching up against two two of the other best midfielders in this league, one of the best other tens in Diego Valeri, and then you also have Sebastian Blanco behind him facilitating the game in the midfield. And those two guys, Valeri and Blanco, like I just talked about the counter press. those two guys are going to be able to handle that counterpress and get out of their turn and tight spaces work out of there. So that's something else that New York City FC is going to have to, to look at. New York City FC does have a really good attack, though, a front four and a couple guys on the bench. You had Castellanos, Medina, and Maxi all score last game against Toronto. You also have Mitrita, Tajori Shradi that plays out right. Those guys are all included in the attacking four. And Bear that plays striker up top and replace of Castellanos when he's not there or out left. Uh, they're all interchangeable, I think, on New York City FC. They have a really good attack. We just haven't really seen it come to fruition until this last game. So there's something to be said about a team that finds their groove at the right time in a tournament, and it could be something that New York City FC has found. They may have found their groove. But one more thing, Portland's attack. I talked a little bit about their midfield. So I don't know if you guys have heard of this guy, but he scored two goals. Uh, just – I could pronounce this completely wrong. Niazgadah. I think that's how you say it. Him and Abobasi are interchangeable at the number nine, the striker spot for them. So Abobasi started the first two games, and he scored two goals, both playing striker. Niesga has also started up top. for the, He's come off the bench twice in the past two games and has been a proven striker, scoring two goals as well. They have two strikers, scored two goals apiece. They've got options up top. And Abobasi can also play out wide if they need be. So if they want to play Nezgadah up top, Abobasi can play out wide with his speed. I believe he had seven goals and some crazy stat last year, and a lot of people don't even consider him a winger. So I think that's going to be a tactical matchup. It's two big-name teams. We're going to see how that game fares.
2: Honestly, we're into the quarterfinals now, so really all these games should be good. I think that we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't just briefly touch on the San Jose-Minnesota game. And I think just to do that quickly, San Jose obviously, obviously has been explosive in the attack, and they've been proving that the man-marking system um, defensively is, is working. But Minnesota has proven that they're a team that can adjust. So I think that coming into this game, Minnesota is going to do just that, and we may not see that same San Jose team that we've seen.
1: Hey. Kevin Molino did not play against the crew that is hot boy that man basically owns the Disney wide world of sports he is Orlando okay but now he plays for Minnesota so they get Kevin Molino back like you just touched on both teams can adjust both teams have um, tactics in their back pocket that other teams won't fare well against so it's, it's going to be a battle. I'm interested to see. We could see San Jose, with their man-marking scheme, just run this whole tournament, to be honest with you. They seem like a team that's got the energy. They seem like a team that's up for it, as Jillian Sackovitz would say. I think that's a team that's here for it. So, fellas, we talked about our games to watch. Let's make our picks. I want to put a little bit of asterisk here. We have not been right in a lot of things in many of our <laughs> picks. If you guys saw the bracket that we posted on our Instagram and Twitter, I'm sorry that was me. Busted. It's it's me. I'll go ahead and admit it. It's a terrible bracket. It's absolutely miserable. I, I'll probably just delete. I should delete it. I'm not going to because I have too much pride. If you guys got some smack to talk, talk it at me. Uh, come at us on Twitter, Instagram, MLS Gone Wild. Check us out. Comment on it. Looks terrible. Let us know. Guys, picks. All right, I'm going to run through these. You guys give me your picks. Philadelphia Union sporting Kansas City. I'm marking these down. I'm keeping track of this.
3: So, with my knowledge and
0: greatness and my well-being for sporting Kansas City to win this whole MLS is back tournament. I am going to go two to one sporting Kansas City.
2: You mother effer. You mother effer. Get out of my head, Poop. I was going to say the same exact thing. I think, well, I, I think my heart wants to go with Philadelphia. I think that they're exciting. Brandon Aronson, um, you, you've got Montero and and Bedoya, and you've got some, some great players on this team. They haven't really been creating a whole lot of chances. Um, Sporting Kansas City, I just think they might have a slight edge. Uh, they've got Polito, and I'm, go- I'm going 2-1, Sporting Kansas City. I think Philadelphia's going to squeak one away, but I think that Sporting Kansas is going to come out probably score one in the first half. And then Philadelphia may score one in the second, and, and Sporting Kansas City is going to finish him off there towards the end.
3: We'll keep it short, sweet, to the point. I agree with you guys. I'm going 3-1, Sporting Kansas City. New York City FC versus Portland. I want to say this game is going
0: into penalty kicks. Have it here right now. Penalty kicks for this game. Who wins? Going for Portland. Portland's going win this one in PKs.
2: I'm going New York City FC having trouble thinking of a score line at this moment. I really did like the take of the tie going into PKs. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go 2-0 New York City FC. I think that with the performance that we just saw, I think Medina, Castellanos, these guys are starting to see a little bit better form, hoping they ride that wave and get back to that New York City FC style of football that we've seen in the past. And I'm going, I think I said what did I say 2-0? New York City FC.
1: I think New York City FC has rode their wave as long as it could. I think that wave has crashed, and it's going to crash in the quarterfinals. They've gotten their two straight wins. I think Portland comes out of this one on top, 2-1. to
3: one. one of the matches we highlighted earlier, Orlando SC versus LAFC.
0: So for this one, Let's go with a little up-through for this one. So, Dylan, shout-out to you. I'm going to go 4-3 Orlando. 4-3, <laughs> baby. Let's bring on the goals. Let's bring them
2: hot.
1: I love that. absolutely love it.
2: Ah, <laughs> oh, Man, I don't know. I can't, I can't not pick LAFC. You know, just like me not picking Diego Rossi to win the Golden Boot in the beginning of this, the obvious choice is LAFC here I know Orlando has impressed a lot of people LAFC is a different animal and I think that Orlando is about to find that out the hard way I'm gonna go oh man I'm going 3-2 LAFC
3: 3-2 LAFC sorry guys I'm just writing these things down so we can keep track of how bad we are at this
1: Whew, as much as I would love to pick an upset, if you look at our bracket, I took Vancouver a couple games. Uh, so I was all about picking upsets, but I realized how wrong I've been about all of this. I'm going to take LAFC in this game. I'm going to take LAFC 3-1. to one.
0: Looks like I'm the only one that has big cojones in this, this episode. Oh, yeah,
1: real big cojones. <laughs> all right, guys, last but not least. The man marking San Jose Earthquakes versus Minnesota United.
0: So, for this one, straight to the point, nothing San Jose.
3: Wanda with another goal. Erickson with, another, with the other. 2 nothing. Okay. Well, I'm
2: struggling with this one. I want to pick <laughs> the upset on this one. I want San Jose to win. But I'm going to go Minnesota on this one. I'm calling the upset. Minnesota with their ability to adjust and absolutely, in my opinion, just embarrass the crew who have been a powerful team up to this point. You know, they're no longer with us. RIP. <laughs> I'm going to go Minnesota, and I'm going to go Minnesota. Oh, man. Go Minnesota 1-0.
3: Being a crew fan, I would love to pick
1: the team that beat the crew because it would be like, you know, we lost to the champions. I can't do it. Like I said, the better team doesn't always win. I wouldn't – I'd lie to you if I told you I thought Minnesota was actually a better overall team than the Columbus crew. San Jose's man-marking scheme is what looks to be unbeatable in this tournament. Their ability to score goals and create chances from out wide in this tournament is remarkable. I think San Jose takes this game. Give me 4-1 San Jose.
3: Wow. (laughs) Whoa there, buddy. Man,
0: that's a hot one too. (laughs) Hey,
1: hey man, I've been wrong a time or two before, so I got no problem being wrong again. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we've we've gone through our – you know, everything that we plan on doing. We've gone through our full set of notes here for – Episode 5 of Season 2, is there anything else you guys want to add before we close
3: out? No, I, honestly, go ahead.
2: I think I'm good. I'm dandy. I think it's been fun this far. I'm excited for the tighter matchups that are to come with the MLS's back tournament. It's going to be some high emotions in some of these games. And like you said, I'm here for it. But additionally to that, once this is all said and done, I know the coronavirus is is rearing its ugly head once again. I really hope that we get to see regular season play once this is done.
1: With saying that, with saying that, Mike D, I think we need to really hope that the USL does a really good job with their return to play as well, because the USL is playing. In their home stadiums, teams are traveling and leaving. They're not staying over the night, and there are some fans in the stadiums. I believe all fans have to wear masks. That may be up to the city itself and um, how they govern it. But we need to hope that the USL is a success. There aren't an outbreak of coronaviruses within the USL. If that looks good, I think it looks better for the MLS. Believe the MLS in the upcoming days are going to release some of their plans in a potential schedule coming up. So that's something to look forward to for the MLS as we enter the final eight of this tournament. Mike D, like you said, we're going to get into some closer matchups. Not only are teams playing to win, teams are playing to not lose as well. So desperate times, yes, that's a very obvious statement, but you know that weighs heavily on the tactics. And it has this whole tournament with teams that are deciding to sit in. Um, so if you can sit in and find your chances to win a game, You might just do that. So we may see an upset or two here. Guys, the only other thing I want to plug in here before we get off, there's a rumor. It actually might not be a rumor because it was on MLSsoccer.com. Luis Suarez has been proposed an offer to enter Miami. What do you guys think? You guys think it's Luis Suarez time in Miami?
0: What happened to Falcao? I mean, they're already making his jerseys. What happened to that man? And he was just spotted in Miami, too.
1: Do they have enough money to bring in both? I don't know.
2: Who knows? I mean, he's David Beckham, so. I don't think. I, don't I would think rather, I I would rather
1: see Luis Suarez there than Falcao.
2: I haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to uh, Barcelona. I believe that's where he plays still, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure what his production's been like, but, hey, man, he's a former Liverpool, so I'm always happy to see one of those play.
1: Yeah, he's an elite striker. So
2: That man's got got he's got he's a mouth on him, and he's not afraid to use it.
0: Yep, let's bring the bite to the MLS. Let's get it going.
1: Bring the bite to the MLS. Can we make a hashtag to, for that? <laughs> bring the bite to the MLS. It's a long hashtag, but I think it applies here. All right, guys. Well, you guys want to go ahead and say goodbye to our listeners?
3: Say goodbye, say goodbye. Yeah, let's do it. It's been fun. Yeah, I just want to thank everybody out there that goes ahead,
0: you know, hits the play button, listens to our podcast, and supports, supports us fully. I just want to thank you. Hope you guys stay safe and healthy, and have a great one.
2: Yep. Mike D, signing off. As Poop has said, thank you all so much for tuning in and listening to us go back and forth and sometimes make fools of ourselves when, you know, you say the wrong thing or talk about the wrong player and their name and all that. So thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode. Blim, take us away.
1: Guys keep fat checking us, especially, especially Mike Delaney. <laughs> but in all seriousness, guys, thank you for listening to season two episode five of MLS gone wild. Tomorrow night we enter the quarterfinals of the MLS is back tournament. We're all super stoked for it. Like Poopa said, we appreciate all of our listeners who press that play button. If you are pressing that play button, if you could, if you have Apple Podcasts, the app, please subscribe, rate and review. That helps us out big time. You guys can listen to us anywhere else. You listen to podcasts, anchor, Spotify, anywhere else. Give us a follow on social media, MLS gone wild. Give us a follow. Give us some love. We got a couple stickers left. If you guys hit us up, we'll send some stickers. Uh, we're in the process of ordering some more. So, guys, enjoy the rest of soccer. Team's got to win three games to take home the, the old COVID Cup. So, enjoy it. You guys stay home. Stay safe. Stay healthy. This is Blem signing off. Thank you once again for listening to MLS Gone Wild. Peace.